Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. And if you have your Bible today, John chapter number 11. And uh, we're going to study uh, several verses this morning, so I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open, keep it ready. And uh, just for our scripture reading time together, we'll read in John chapter number 11, verse number 32. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? The Bible says this, then, Mary, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Mary's brother was Lazarus. He had recently died. Verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, he came with her and he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man uh, which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, coming to the grave, it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Everybody say, stinketh. stinketh. Gotta love the King James, right? He stinketh. Uh, for he had been dead four days. Verse number 40. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took uh, away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I thank thee that thou hast heard me. There was no miracle yet. There were no blessings yet. Lazarus was still in the grave. But Jesus gave thanks in anticipation. He gave thanks in advance. Verse number 42. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he, and, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with graves clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus has ultimate power, resurrection power that can give new life? I'm thankful for that truth this morning. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us, and God, thank you for bringing us uh, together this morning. And uh, Lord, I pray that for uh, the next few minutes we'll be able to focus on your word today. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give, me the, uh, give me the words to say, Lord, and fill me with your spirit that I can uh, deliver the message that you'd have me deliver this morning. And uh, Lord, I pray that we can bring attentive ears and open hearts and minds uh, to receive this message today. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. One of the hardest things to do in life is to wait. And the reason I know that is because we've had our Christmas tree up for about three weeks now. And uh, we just couldn't wait. And uh, we said, let's go ahead and just set it up early. Now, I know that's too early, and I know that's too soon. So before you start judging me, let me just say uh, that I am not going to apologize for my overwhelming Christmas spirit. Okay, I'm, I'm glad that we set our Christmas tree uh, up early. Uh, this year. It was just hard to wait. Today is November 26th. How many of you already have your Christmas tree up? Can I see your hands? Okay. The rest of you, Merry Christmas to you. And uh, one of the hardest things to do in life is to wait. And uh, there's an author. Uh, his name is Robert Levine. He wrote a book called The Geography of Time. And he suggests that we int uh, introduce a new measurement of time. And he calls it the honkosecond. 
Everybody say the honko second. And he says that is the time between when the light turns green and the person behind you, behind you honks their horn at you. Okay, that very short measurement of time, the honko second. And I don't know, but if you're like me, uh, I like things that are instant. I like immediate gratification. I like it when things are, are, are quick and right in front of me. But the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing also uh, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so we have a race and a calling and a job to do and a race to run that God has given us, and we are to run that race with patience. That tells us that the race is not a sprint, it is a marathon. And we are to run this race with patience. And it's hard uh, to, to, to run with patience at, at times because we want to see results quickly. And we live in a culture and a generation of instant gratification and, and immediate results. And this becomes problematic because one of the greatest disruptors to a life of gratitude is a life of impatience. It's very hard to be grateful and to be impatient at the same time. And if, if you develop a life of impatience, I promise you that will undoubtedly produce a life of ingratitude. A life of impatience will always lead to a life of ingratitude. The Bible tells us this in, in the book of Psalms, chapter number 37, verses 7 and 9. It says this, rest in the Lord and wait. Everybody say wait. wait. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, uh, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Peter Marshall said this, Teach us, O Lord, uh, the disciplines of patience, for to wait is often harder than to work. And so this morning, if we're going to uh, develop this gratitude in advance, if we're going to develop the kind of thanksgiving in our hearts that, that is able to give thanks in anticipation of the miracle, in, in advance of the miracle, then we're going to have to learn the discipline of patience and wait on God's timing. And when we come to John chapter number 11, we see a powerful uh, example in Scripture of Jesus' power, his resurrection power, one of the most famous stories in all, all of Scripture, raising Lazarus from the dead. But it's also a very powerful Scripture and very powerful teaching on God's sovereignty and God's timing. And Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, they learned a very important lesson on waiting on God's timing. Now, uh, let's pick up the story in verse number one. We're going to uh, kind of work through these verses together, and I'm going to read more verses than I would normally, but I believe it's appropriate, uh, especially in this uh, setting, to uh, give the context for the verses that we're going to be in today. And so if you have your Bible in John chapter 11, let's look at the context and see uh, how this narrative begins in verse number one. If you're there, would you say amen? says this, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Martha which, or excuse me, that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So a little clarification on which Mary this was. Verse number three, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And I want you to remember that and take note of that, that this is someone that the Lord loved deeply. Uh, he who thou lovest, whom thou lovest, is sick. Verse number four. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Watch this, verse number five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. Verse six. When he, heard, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And I've always found 
an interesting contrast between verses number five and verse number six. It, it almost seems like there's an irreconcilable difference between verse number five and verse number six because verse number five says how much Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loved them. The Bible makes that very clear. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. And that meant that when Jesus was alive on earth and, and accomplishing his earthly ministry, he did not have a home. And, and so he would often just travel and stay at friends' houses. And he would often travel and stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so he knew them very well. He loved them. He cared about them. They were friends. They were family. They were close. They, he, he, he loved them. But then when Mary and Martha send word to Jesus and say, hey, whom thou lovest is sick. Lazarus is sick. We need your help. Jesus said, okay, and he stays still in the same place for two days. And that would have been very frustrating for Mary and Martha. Jesus, you love Lazarus. We know you love Lazarus. Please, he's sick. You need to come help him. You need to come. And Jesus says, okay, just give me two days. And a lot of times we experience uh, the, the, the same thing when we sing about the love of God and we talk about the love of God and we celebrate the love of God as we should. But then when we look to our circumstances, sometimes it's hard to see the love of God. Because verse number five tells us how much Jesus loved them, but verse number six says that he waited in the same place. And sometimes God will put us in a waiting season. And sometimes God has us waiting so that he will ultimately reveal more glory. That's what it says in verse number four. And I want to tell you today that maybe God has you in a waiting season, not because he's forgotten you, but actually because he's favored you. And he wants to reveal his glory in your life. And he wants to show you something incredible and show forth and manifest his glory and his power in your life. And so this would have been a hard waiting season for Mary and Martha. Why is Jesus not coming? Because in the meantime, Lazarus, spoiler alert, he dies. And so Mary and Martha are just left to, to, to think, man, if only Jesus would have came. We know that he loves Lazarus. Why wouldn't he just come and, and heal Lazarus and help him? And so Jesus Wait, so I want you to see what happens next in verse number 7. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go again into, uh, into Judea again. And so after that two days, after that little waiting season, he says, okay, now it's time we can go. And uh, the disciples are wondering, you know, what's going on here? Why did, he, why did we wait and do nothing for two days? And now we can go. Verse 8, his disciples say unto him, Master, uh, the Jews of late uh, sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? They, uh, they say, uh, that's not a very safe place to go, Jesus. They're, they're, they're wanting to kill you there. Why would we go there right now? I don't know if that's a good idea, Jesus. And he says this in verse number 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of the world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. Jesus was basically talking about protection. He is the light. And when you're walking with Jesus, that's always the safest place where the protection is, in the light, walking with the light. In verse number 11, these things said he, and after that, he, say, he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him, awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. They didn't quite understand Jesus' terminology. They thought maybe Lazarus was just sleeping. And they thought, well, that's good news. If he's sleeping, uh, uh, then that's good news. He can get better. Verse 13, Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in his sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm thankful that Jesus sometimes can just speak very plainly. He says, okay, Lazarus is dead. Okay, no more confusion about it. Verse 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, 
Let us go unto him. And so Jesus the whole time had a purpose for this situation. He had a purpose for waiting. It was for his glory. He was wanting to make sure that the, the situation seemed as impossible as it could po possibly be so uh, he could get and showcase his ultimate glory. And really we see in, in these verses, Jesus demonstrates a great uh, template and a great example and a great pattern for uh, uh, wise decision making. Uh, he did not make his decision based on the pressure of friends. Mary and Martha, they came to him and said, Jesus, you need to do this right now. But Jesus says, I'll go ahead and just wait. Uh, Jesus did not uh, uh, make this decision based on the emotion of the moment. There was a lot of emotion we're going to see in just a second, but Jesus didn't let that emotion dictate his decision. He did not make this decision based on what his enemies thought. The disciples said, Jesus, the enemy, uh, they, want, they want to kill you. They want to hurt you. This is not a good idea. But Jesus didn't let that hold him back. And so when it comes to making godly decisions, we need to make sure that we're not making decisions based on the emotion of the moment, uh, not from pressure of friends or even pressure from the enemy. Just say, you know what, whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to go ahead and do. No, notice what the Bible says now in verse number 20. Jesus is making his way uh, uh, to Bethany. And uh, again, we're building the context here because we're going somewhere. Verse number 20. And then Martha, as soon as uh, she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. And then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Mary says the same thing a little bit later. Martha says, if you would have only been here, Jesus, verse 22, but I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Martha was kind of thinking on eschatological terms, and Jesus was speaking about soteriology. He was talking about salvation here and now. Uh, verse number 24, I know that she shall, he, he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Verse 27. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And so Mary and uh, Martha and Jesus, they're having this conversation. No doubt it's a very emotional moment. There's a lot of tears being shed, and there's a lot of pain that they are experiencing in this moment. And, and Jesus is having this conversation uh, with Martha, and they didn't understand why Jesus wouldn't come right away. Why did you make us wait here in this Moment. And so this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, give us three ways that we can give glory to God while we wait. Three ways from as Jesus approaches the graveside of, uh, of Lazarus. I want to give us three ways that we can give God glory while we wait. Number one, the Bible, number one remain grateful in the face of opposition. We've got to remain grateful in the face of opposition. Notice what the Bible says now in verse number 41. If you're with me, would you say amen? Verse number 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And so even in the midst of this pain, and even in the midst of this opposition, Jesus was still able to give thanks in advance for what God was about to do. He was expressing his gratitude to the Father. He was expressing his thanksgiving, even in the midst of this difficulty. Patricia Ennis said this, One of the most evident signs of genuine godliness is a sincere display of appreciation towards your heavenly Father. That's what the Bible communicates in Psalm 140, verse number 13. Surely the righteous shall give thanks. And so you want to know a sure sign of righteousness and godliness and spiritual maturity? It's the ability to give thanks, even in the midst of a storm, even in the face of opposition, because as we approach, 
approach this text, we see that there were several reasons and there were several obstacles to Jesus' gratitude. And I want you to notice a couple of them this morning. Uh, first of all, Jesus was distressed. He was distressed. If you have your Bible open, look at verse number 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Skip down to verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. And so this was a very emotional scene. When Jesus approached Bethany that day, they would have been right in the middle of the typical Jewish mourning period. And uh, funerals in uh, ancient culture like this were nothing like our funerals today. In fact, there was much weeping and wailing and shrieking and loud noises. And they believed that the louder you shrieked and wailed, the more honor you would give to the dead. And so there was a lot of emotion taking place. And as Jesus is approaching this scene, and there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of crying and weeping, the Bible tells us that Jesus groaned in his spirit. And it's a very interesting word in the Greek, the word groan. It's the Greek word embrimaomai. And the idea is that it carries of someone being deeply, deeply moved. In fact, in original classical Greek, that word embrimaomai, it's talking about a snort of a horse. And so it's kind of an interesting word. It's kind of an odd word to describe what Jesus did. It's almost a violent word that Jesus groaned in his spirit. He was deeply moved. He, he was overcome with emotion. Now, this is very uh, fascinating because the, it, the original audience of the book of John was a Greek audience. And the Greeks believed in a God that showed no emotion whatsoever. They believed in a God that, that was very distant, impersonal, that didn't really want to have anything to do uh, necessarily in your personal life, just kind of distant, uh, no emotion whatsoever. And so as the Greek audience was reading this letter and hearing about the fact that Jesus, God in the flesh, was expressing this kind of emotion, that would be astonishing to them. Verse number 35, Jesus wept. That would have been amazing to them. Why would he express this kind of emotion? There was a study done recently. Uh, the National Study of Youth and Religion uh, surveyed 3,000 high school students. And uh, they surveyed their belief about God. And uh, asked, asked them a bunch of questions. And, and uh, their conclusion was that the teen's view of God was one of moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic meaning uh, concern for morality Therapeutic means helps you feel good. And so basically they said God's there because maybe he's going to make us feel good and, and, he's, and he's concerned with us being good. And this was the result of the study. I believe they're on the screen. They believe that there's a God exists who watches over human life. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair. The central goal in life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. Good people go to heaven when they die. And God does not need to be, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when there is a problem. And that's what millions of people believe about God. The, the, the summary of the survey was this. They believe that God is something like a, a combination of a divine butler and a cosmic therapist. He's always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. And that's many people's idea about God. Yeah, there might be a God, but he's not involved in my life and in my situation. He's not concerned with my problems. But I'm thankful today that as we study Scripture and we look to the life of Jesus and we study the Son of Man and the Son of God and God in the flesh, that he is expressing emotion. I'm thankful today that God cares about what's going on in our lives and he's interested in our problems and he's interested in carrying our burdens. And every pain that we feel and every thought that we feel that has us be distressed and discouraged, Jesus has felt the same way. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 1, 7, casting 
all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus cares about you? He's not a distant, impersonal God. The Bible says that he is nigh unto them that are of a broken spirit. He's nigh unto the broken heart. The Bible says if you draw nigh to God, guess what? He's going to draw nigh to you. He's not going to take a step away in the other direction. No, God wants to be close. He wants to be involved in our lives. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, prophesying about the coming Messiah, speaking of Jesus, says this, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's well acquainted with grief. He knows all about suffering. He knows all about pain. And we were hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did, not, uh, we, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, our sin. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was well acquainted with grief. He knows all about pain. He knows all about suffering. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We, we, we serve a God that feels emotion, that cares about what's going on, is interested in our, our daily lives and our pain that we so often experience. And so even in the midst of this great deep pain that Jesus was experiencing, he groaned in the spirit. In the midst of that kind of pain, Jesus expressed thanks. It wasn't like Jesus went to the graveside of Lazarus, was having a great day, and said, I feel thankful today. No, he was in the midst of deep hurt. He groaned in the spirit, deeply moved. And yet, even in that kind of situation, he expressed thanks. Not only was he distressed, he was also doubted. He was doubted. Notice verse number 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And so we see that Mary and Martha both, they say the same thing. Lord, if you would have only been here, Lazarus would have been healed. If you would have only been here, he could have been, he could have been helped and he could have been saved. And so what I want you to see is they had faith. They believed that Jesus could heal. But they had a limited faith because they did not understand and see that Jesus could also resurrect from the dead. Lord, if you would have only been here, you could have helped us. And so often we put limits on a limitless God. And so often we have belief, but we put boundaries around our belief to what God can do. Mary and Martha said, if you would have only been here, you could have taken care of this problem. They had faith, but it was a limited faith. It reminds me of the father in Mark chapter number 9, verse 24, that says this. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Isn't that one of the most relatable and honest verses in scripture? I believe. I believe, God, you said it, I'm claiming it, I believe it. Lord, help now my unbelief. <laughs> I just need help with that believing part. And they believed, they had faith, but it was limited faith. And I want to encourage us this morning to start dreaming bigger, to start having bigger faith, to start believing God for the impossible, to start saying, hey, I'm not going to put limits and boundaries on my belief. I'm going to say, God, you said it, and I believe it to the fullest. God, I want you to do a great and mighty work in my life. I'm believing today that God's going to do a great and beautiful work here in the Inland Empire. I want to dream bigger. I want to ask God to do bigger things. I want to see more people reach and more people saved. Why? For the glory of God. I want to believe bigger, dream bigger, think bigger. I don't want to limit my faith. Jesus was, was doubted if you'd only been here. But now, I don't, know if, I don't know if Jesus can do anything. And so even in the midst of his being discouraged and distressed, he expressed thanks. Even when he was doubted by the people that he loved, he expressed thanks. But also, I want you to see this morning that he was also discredited. 
He was distressed. He was doubted, but he was discredited. Notice what it says in verse number 36. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 36, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. Verse 37, and some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? They, they discredited and they started doubting what Jesus could do. And they said, if he healed the blind, couldn't he have certainly done something to help this man? If Jesus loves him so much, why didn't he help him out? And isn't that often the question that infiltrates our hearts when we're hurting? If Jesus really loves us and he really cares about us, then why did this happen? Why would God let this happen to me in this moment, in this situation in my life? And, and they said in verse 36, oh, how he loved him. And in verse 37, they scorned him. In verse 36, they praised him. In verse 37, they criticized him. Can I tell you today that for every th verse 36 moment in life, you're going to have a verse 37 moment? <laughs> One minute people are going to praise you and compliment you. And the next minute they're going to criticize and complain. So what does this teach us? It teaches us two things. One, don't live for the compliments. And two, don't die from the criticism. Because for every verse 36 moment, you're going to have a verse 37 moment where people are going to doubt you and discredit you. And that's what Jesus is experiencing. And so through all of this, through, through all of these things going against Jesus, he expresses gratitude and he expresses thanks to the Father. And what I want to tell you today, if you've been going through a season of hurt, if you're in a waiting season, if you've experienced loss, if you've experienced pain, if you're hurting, if there's something that has gone contrary to you and that you're carrying some sort of burden that nobody, nobody else knows about, I want to tell you this, that Jesus knows about your burden. He, he knows how you feel. He knows the thoughts that you think. He knows he's been there. He, he's been there before. He has scars. He's suffered. He's been where you have been. And yet he also expressed gratitude. And so no matter what you're going through today, I want to encourage you to express that kind of thanksgiving and express that kind of gratitude in your own life. I was reading about Gerda Wiesmann, who was in one of the Nazi Germany uh, death camps during World War II, and, and she tells in her autobiography how they were standing in line for hours on end every day, and they were on the verge of collapsing from starvation and from dehydration and just physical exhaustion. And she tells about how horrible uh, these camps were and she says in her book that, that one day in her lifeless and dull prison cell, they noticed that in the corner, kind of in the, in the cracks of the concrete, that a flower sprung up. And she said it was amazing to see the response of the women in this camp that they all took diligent care of that flower. They said every day they would go over there and make sure that it was doing okay. And they said that through all of the ugly things and all of the horrible things that were going on in this camp, they found one thing for which to be thankful and I want to tell you today that no matter what kind of pain you're carrying, what kind of burden you're carrying, there's always reason to give thanks to God for his abounding grace in our lives, his undeserved favor. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive, watch this, abundance of grace, abundance overflowing grace, what we do not deserve, abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And as I read that verse this week, I thought of a, uh, this, this, this question has been uh, on my heart and on my mind, and this convicting question, it's this. Is the gratitude that is flowing out of your life as abundant as the grace that has flowed into your life? Is the gratitude that flows from you as abundant as the grace that has come to you? Because we have received an abundance of grace. 
so many things for which to be thankful, but often we focus on the things that are going wrong and we find reason to complain and to doubt and to murmur when we have so much to be grateful for. And so we see that if we're going to give God glory in a waiting season, that we need to remain grateful in the face of opposition. Number two this morning, if you're taking notes. Number two, follow Jesus even when it doesn't seem to make sense. If you're with me today, would you say amen? Follow Jesus even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Notice what the Bible says in verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. So Jesus is now approaching the grave site. And, and a typical in Palestinian uh, culture, their graves would be kind of in the midst of a cave and kind of uh, just carved out of a rock. And there would be several bodies inside. And they would put a, a stone over it to kind of cover uh, uh, the opening. And uh, as he approaches the grave, he asked them to remove the stone. Take the stone away. And I want you to notice two interesting things about this. Number one, their protest. Notice the protest uh, coming from Martha. Notice it in verse number 39. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he had been dead four days. Uh, Jesus, he's not going to smell too good right now. See, it's interesting that the Bible tells us twice in this passage, once here in this verse number 39 and, and again in verse number 17, that, uh, that he had been dead four days. Because in Jewish, in Jewish culture, they believed, they, they wrongly believed, that the spirit of the dead would hover over a body for four days, seeking entrance back into the body. And it would kind of just hover around, and then after four days, they would understand, okay, I can't get back in, so the spirit would leave. And so the Bible makes it clear and tells us that he was, he was dead for four days. And Martha protests and says, Jesus, he, he stinks by now, and, and he's for sure dead. He is good and gone. This doesn't make any sense. Why would, we, why would we take the stone away when nothing is going to change, nothing is going to happen? Why would we do this? This was a major breach in protocol. This didn't make any sense to Martha. But see, sometimes following Jesus, we have to go ahead and obey before we understand and so this didn't make any sense to her, but, but uh, they're, they're, they're contemplating this and they're trying to figure this out. See, sometimes following Jesus will require your compliance before your comprehension. Sometimes we have to just say, you know what, submit and obey and do it, and then we'll understand why God has us do the things that he has us do. Uh, uh, the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter number 6 that, that, that Joshua was getting ready to lead uh, the nation of Israel and to go and, and to attack the city of Jericho. And it's always an interesting story to me because uh, Joshua was a great military and strategic mind, and he would have called his leaders together, and he would have said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and attack this great fortress, the city of Jericho, with the large walls, and we're going to go and attack them, and God's going to give us a victory. And so here's the plan. I imagine they kind of all gathered together. Maybe he lays out a map of the city, and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around the city one time today, and we're not going to talk. And I kind of wonder if the other generals are kind of like looking at him like, come again? <laughs> like, that's the plan? See, God will often call us to do the impractical so that he can do the impossible. God will often have us do something that doesn't quite make sense so that he can do something extraordinary in our lives. See, it doesn't always make sense to give God 10% back to the work of the Lord. But just go ahead and do it and wait and see what God can do. 
It doesn't always make sense to give that invite out at the grocery store because it might be a little awkward and I don't know if they're going to receive it. It might not always make sense, but just do it and wait and see what God can do. It might not always make sense to come early to church and to come to a team rally and to volunteer and give up your time for a small group, but go ahead and obey and wait and see what God can do because God will often ask us to do the impractical so that he can do the impossible in our lives. So I want to encourage you today to go ahead and obey Jesus and follow Jesus even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Even when we can't quite comprehend it. Lord, why would I remove the stone? I wonder. I wonder which stones does God want you to move out of the way so that someone can experience new life in him? See, it's interesting because Jesus didn't have to ask them to move the stone away, right? I mean, if you have resurrection power, if you can bring someone back from the dead, he could have just done one of these numbers and that stone would have gone out of the way, right? He didn't, he didn't need for them to do it. But see, God will not perform a miracle where a miracle is not necessary. He wants us to do our part and to participate in the miracle. And a lot of times we're waiting for a miracle. God just do something when God wants us to make the first move. He wants us to move the stone out of the way so that lives can be changed. See, when we uh, pass out an invitation at the store and we invite our neighbors to come and celebrate Christmas with us at church, when we do that, what are we doing? We're doing our part to get the stone out of the way so that God can give new life. We're doing our part. God wants us to participate in the miracle. Does anybody today want to participate with God in a miracle and see God do what only God can do, but we've got to do what we can do. We've got to do our part. And so we've got to follow Jesus even when it doesn't quite seem to make sense. The protest, I want you to see the purpose, though, that Jesus gives. The purpose in verse number 40, Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? See, Jesus said, hey, there's a purpose, Mary and Martha. There's a purpose for your pain. There's a purpose for your waiting. It's, it's so that I will manifest my glory so that you can see my power. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 31 says, says this, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God. Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. Everybody say, his purpose. See, God has a purpose in our pain. He has a purpose in our situation. He knows how to best get the glory back to himself. And so Jesus reminds them of his purpose in this situation. Notice verse number 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Verse 42. And I knew that thou hearest me always because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And so Jesus prayed this exemplary prayer where he was praying so that the people around him could hear and understand and believe that he is God and that he is all powerful. And so how can we give God glory while we wait? Well, we've got to remain grateful in the face of opposition. Number two, we've got to follow Jesus even when it doesn't seem to make sense. We've got to move the stone out of the way so that God can do a miracle. And I want you to see thirdly today, discover the life and liberty that only Jesus can offer. Discover the life and the liberty that only Jesus can offer. Notice verse number 43. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? Verse 43. When they had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Many commentators, preachers, and theologians, they've all said, I think it originated with Augustine, but he but they say that if Jesus did not specify and say Lazarus, that all of the graves would have been opened up and everyone would have come back to life in that moment. So Jesus had to specify, Lazarus, it's you this time. Lazarus, come forth. 
And as Jesus gives this command, he offers Lazarus what only Jesus can offer. Two things and we're done this morning. The first thing he offers is new life. Notice what it says in verse 44. And he that was dead. Aren't you thankful for those two words this morning? Was dead. He that was dead came forth. He experienced new life. He came back from the dead even in his decayed state. Even though he was all wrapped up, he came forth through the power of God and through the resurrection power that Jesus and Jesus alone has. And so now Mary and Martha are beginning to understand why they were waiting. Now they're beginning to understand, oh, this is what God meant when he was talking about his glory. They didn't understand it back at the beginning of the chapter. They didn't understand why Jesus was waiting back then, but now they're starting to see what happens when we wait on God's timing. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 8. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. See, what, I wanted, what I'm trying to tell you today is that Jesus is still offering new life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Where in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, to the spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Watch this. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, everybody say great love, for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in our sins even when we were dead just like Lazarus dead in our sins hath quickened us made us alive together with Christ aren't you thankful today for the new life that is only found in Jesus only Jesus can offer this kind of life by grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in, in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God it's not about what we can do we don't deserve it it's the gift of God new life the Bible says in John 5 24 verily verily I say unto you he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life and if you've never experienced Christ as your Savior, I would say today would be the greatest day that you could possibly do that. The Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. See, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. See, Jesus is all about giving that life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. There is new life found in Jesus. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that our iniquities, our sins separated us from God. We were dead in our sinful nature. But because God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins in our place, we can have a relationship with the Father. We can be, uh, attain new life that is only found in Jesus. There's this new life that is given. There is a chief of pediatric cardiosurgery in New York. And his name is Dr. Samuel Weinstein. And uh, he's a renowned surgeon at a children's hospital in New York City. And in 2006, he took some of his team to go to El Salvador and to perform surgeries for poor children that could not afford surgeries. And he was performing a surgery on a boy named Francisco Fernandez. It was a, it was a very complicated surgery. The boy was eight years old. And 12 hours into this one surgery, Francisco started bleeding out of control. And they didn't have all the right uh, supplies to do blood transfusions. They didn't have the right uh, uh, equipment to stop the bleeding. And they knew that he needed more blood and that he was a B-negative blood type. And it's a very rare blood type, but it just so happened 
just so happened that Dr. Weinstein had the same exact blood type. And so as the story goes, as the article says that he literally stopped the surgery, he put down his scalpel, he walked over to the side, washed his hands, washed his forearms, and he gave his own blood. And he gave his own blood. The article says after that, he drank some water, he ate a Pop-Tart, and 20 minutes later, he got back to the surgery and saved the boy's life. And I wanna tell you today, that because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary, because of his blood, we can be given new life and we can experience that life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Because of the blood that he shed, aren't you thankful today for the blood of Jesus? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He offers new life. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. If you've never experienced that relationship today, I would say today you can have that new life. But not only does Jesus give new life to Lazarus, he gives him not only life, but also liberty. Notice what it says in verse 44. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with graves clothes. And the Jews did not have a very complex uh, uh, burial system. They basically just would wrap someone's body, put some spices on and put them in the cave. And that, that's all they did. And so he was wrapped hand and foot with graves clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin. And it's always, I always kind of wonder how long that took because as everyone's kind of watching the story and their jaws are dropped, that Lazarus is coming out of the grave. And everyone's like, this is amazing. Well, Lazarus can't see and he's bumping into things and he doesn't know what's going on. And so Jesus says this in verse number 44. He says, loose him and let him go. Take those graves clothes, grave clothes off him. He doesn't need it anymore. Take those clothes away. Hey, set him free. Loose him. Give him liberty. I'm thankful today that Jesus gives life, but he also gives liberty. And when you experience that life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus, you don't have to be stuck in your sin anymore. You don't have to be stuck in, in fear and held captive by fear and pain. You don't have to be imprisoned by your fear and your doubt. Hey, you can experience the liberty that only Jesus can give. He says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. See, only Jesus can give you that kind of life and that kind of liberty. The Bible says this in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. Everybody say free. Free, free from the law of sin and death. Aren't you thankful today that there is no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus? He sets us free. And so often, even though we've been free, we live like we're held captive. And we're imprisoned by our pain, our doubts, our fears, our anxiety, our confusion. Held captive to the law. Jesus says, no, no, you've been set free. Just as Lazarus has experienced this new life, also new liberty. So I wanna encourage you today, if you're carrying some sort of pain, if you're going through some sort of struggle, if you've experienced loss, to just wait and see what God can do. Wait and see. God manifest his glory in your situation. We've got to remain grateful in the face of that opposition. We've got to follow Jesus even when it doesn't seem to make sense. And then we'll discover the life and liberty that only Jesus can offer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Really the conclusion of the story in verse number 45 says, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. the purpose of this story why is the book of John 
recorded in the canon of scripture. The purpose is that we might believe. Jesus demonstrated his timing and his power so that we would believe on his name. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.